So last week we jumped into this series called All Wrapped Up and we started talking about how God gives gifts, right? We talked about how generous he is, how every good and perfect gift comes from God. That's straight from the Bible. And we talked about how this ultimate gift that God gives us is Jesus. So that was last week. Now this week we're going to talk a little bit more about the actual gift of Jesus and what he looks like and what specifically it looked like for God to give him to us. But before we get into that, I want to ask you a question. What can you tell about a present and how it's wrapped in the way it's presented? And not even just presents, but just stuff in general, right? Like think, think about what can you tell about a present when you just see it, just from the outside. What can you tell? Yeah, what can you tell? Okay, so she's saying if it's wrapped nice, that they probably put a lot of time and energy into it. They probably thought about this gift a lot, right? They care maybe a little bit more based on how it's wrapped. What else can we tell about how things are wrapped and the way they look on the outside? Yeah. The size, like how big it is. The box, if it's huge, it could be something massive inside. Yeah, what else? Anything else? I'll take one more thing. Yes, ma'am. Say that again. If it has a bow, like a bow on a president is a big deal to you. So you need a bow. Some of you might not want a bow. Some of you like it when somebody like picks a nice type of paper. Some of you might like, be like, no, I'm more of a bag kind of person. I want a bag with some tissue paper. I just pull that junk out and I get my present. Some of you like to work for it. But no matter what the case, like no matter what you like or what you look for, you can tell something by what the outside of this present looks like. Or at least you think, right? I mean, it, it, it tells you something you interpret it a certain way based on the way things look. So to help us kind of figure this out, to maybe just get us all on the same page with this, I got a little illustration. Look at the screens for me. So when you look at these two particular presents, okay? One on the left, one on the right. Um, the one on the left is done very precisely, very nicely. Uh, it's got like gold ribbon and a bow on it. Who needed the bow? Right over here. Needed the bow. That's right. So you got the bow on it. It's gold. It's in a nice black textured box and there's a table there. Um, and then you've got the, the gift on the right. Maybe you've gotten a gift like this, this wrapped up in plastic bags and packing tape because they didn't have anything else to wrap it with. Or maybe it was newspaper that your gift was wrapped with. Or maybe it's just straight up in the plastic bag, straight from the store, and they didn't even wrap it. It's just in the bag. Have y'all, have y'all seen this before? Have you experienced this? Before? Have you given a gift like this before? Okay, well, here's, here's my question to you. If you were just looking at these just the way they are right now, and someone were to say, hey, pick. I'm guessing most of us are going to go towards the one on the left. For all of the re- now some of you are going to be crazy and you're going to pick the one on the right because that's just how you are and that's fine. <coughs> Excuse me, but just based on the way they're wrapped, you would think the most valuable thing on this screen right now is going to be in the package on the left because energy, effort, and even money went into that packaging. So how much more so on the inside, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the way we would think about it logically. But then when you open this thing up, you realize 
that the gift on the left is just dog food. Like there's nothing really of any value in it. And then you unwrap all the packing tape and the plastic bags and you discover a half a billion dollar diamond in this gift. So this is a pretty extreme example. But based on this, could you tell the value of the gift based on the appearance of it? No, you had no idea. Like just looking at the, pre- even if you would have picked the plastic bag, you still wouldn't have guessed there was a half a billion dollar diamond in the gift. You would have thought maybe instead of dry dog food, it was wet dog food or something. I, I mean, you wouldn't have known it was that much better because you just can't tell based on how they're wrapped, even though we think we can. And sometimes it might work out where the nicer, nicer wrapped present is the better present. But not always, because it's not just about the wrapping. It's not just about what's on the outside. So that's kind of the idea that's going to take us into our talk tonight. And the story we're going to talk about tonight is we talk about Jesus. Now, before we even get into his actual story, I wanted to read this from Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 and 20 through 23. And this is where an angel is telling Joseph, Jesus' dad from here, who's not his, like, real dad, but his dad that's going to raise him, and is telling him about his son that's going to be born, that Mary's going to have this kid, this son, this is who he is. And so this is what the angel says about Mary. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this is kind of the foretelling of Jesus coming, this last part, where it says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. That's actually pulled from a book called Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament, where he is talking about the Messiah, the Savior that's going to come and fix the problem that all of us have with sin. Like he's going he's gonna to get rid of that. He's going to fix that. And he's going to make a way for us to know God again, to be made whole again, and to have everything right with us and God. And so this name, Emmanuel, and then this name, Jesus, both mean two different things, but they're connected. So Emmanuel, you see what it means. It says God with us, right? That's Jesus's name is Emmanuel, but his name is also Jesus, right? And Jesus is another way of saying Joshua in the Greek. So his name is actually Joshua, and Joshua means the Lord will save. I don't know if you knew that or not, but Jesus coming to the planet Earth from heaven, being put into like a baby form, into a human form, the whole reason that happened is for him to fulfill what his name means, which is for us to be saved, for him to save us. So he's going to be with us so that he can save us. Now we jump ahead to Luke chapter 2. Nope, that's Indiana Jones. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Now this is the Christmas story. Some of you have heard this. If you never have, here it is. Luke chapter 2 is where you can find it. There's, it's also in the other Gospels. You can read an account of this. Um, this is the short version, which is why I read this version to, to the boys on Christmas morning. 
because uh, we start doing the long one and they start lo- they, I lose them. Uh, they start bouncing off the walls. But this is the short version. I think we can all s- stick with this one and hang with this one. So check this out. It says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Why did he go there? Does anybody know why he went to Bethlehem? Why does this story happen in Bethlehem? I saw your, your hand first. Nice, 100 points to you. She said everybody had to go to the town they were from for a census. So the king had said, go back to where you're from, and we're going to figure out who all lives in the country and in the kingdom. And so David is having to go back to where he's from, and where he is from is Bethlehem. So they're going back to Bethlehem. If you've ever wondered why do they have this story happen in Bethlehem, why is Jesus born in Bethlehem, that's why. And it also fulfills a prophecy, which is something that was said back in the Old Testament about where Jesus would be born. But that is a whole other story that we could get into that we won't. So then in verse 5, it says, He went there to register with Mary, again, for the census that we just talked about, who was pledged to be married to him. They were engaged and was expecting a child. She was pregnant. But it wasn't, it wasn't his child. Now, in Matthew 1, we just read that she, being Mary, is going to give birth to this baby named Jesus. But it also says she is a virgin. So she has done nothing to have any babies. Uh, there's no reason she should be having any babies, but yet she's having a baby. Now, this is like um, just someone random waking up one morning and realizing they're pregnant and they had no idea. This is what happened to her. Like she had no idea. She just woke up and she's like, man, okay, what's the deal? And so God told her what the deal was. So she wasn't freaking out the whole time. And he also told Joseph what was going on. So he didn't like leave her. Cause I don't know if you know this, but if, if you're engaged with somebody and then you find out they're pregnant and you know, it's not your baby, you're probably going to be a little upset by that. And you're going to be like, Hey, whoa, what up? It's like Jerry Springer stuff. Like you're going to be like, no, um, like Montel Jordan stuff. Like you're not down for that. But God tells them both what's going on. This is, this is his son entering the world. And so they know what's going on. They know what's happening. And they're engaged. She's about to have this baby and they're going to Bethlehem. Verse six, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She goes into labor while they're going to this place that they don't actually live, but where David is from probably a little stressful. By the way, they're both very young. I don't know if you know this, but Mary's a teenager at this point. Yeah, she's, she's very young. Joseph is also pretty young at this point. So they're both very young and very broke. They don't have a lot of money, um, but they're going to this town for the census, and then she goes into labor, and then it jumps right to, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. So she gives birth to Jesus And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So this young couple, they're engaged, pregnant, show up to this town. There's nowhere for them to stay. Why is there nowhere for them to stay? Because they're in this place where everybody's coming in town for the census, right? It's like if you go into a town for a big sporting event or concert, all the hotels get booked up. Well, that's what happened here. There's nowhere for them to stay. So they're looking for somewhere to stay. They can't find anywhere. Then the baby's like about to come. So they just have to find somewhere, somewhere dry with a roof over their head. So where do they go? A shed where the animals stay and they put the baby, like they have the baby there, which I've been in a room when a baby was born. It's crazy. And it's like not neat. And 
And I am in no way saying go Google that or YouTube it. Do not do that. But it's not nice. It's not, it, like, it's not, it's just not something you want to do in a shed with animals. You know what I'm saying? Like, you want a nice, clean environment, you know, like a hospital. Um, but they're out in a shed with hay and animals. And think of a petting zoo. You know the smell? Let it fill your nostrils. Because that's what filled baby Jesus' nostrils when he was born. Think about that. Crazy. But that's what happened. And they don't have any, like, swaddle clothes, baby clothes for him. So what does it say? They wrapped him in some clothes. What does that mean? Well, they wrapped him in their clothes. They're like, oh, I got a jacket. Hand that to me. Wrap him up. Put him in the manger. Anybody know what a manger is? Yeah, I heard some of you say it. It's where the animals eat. And when I say animals, I mean like farm animals. It's where they eat. So the king of kings, savior of the world, the one who's going to save not only the people 2,000 years ago, but all of us too. The one who helped create the entire universe is now sitting in some used clothes with two teenagers in a shed smelling animal poo, sitting in a manger where animals eat. You with me? This is our gift. This is our present. This is how it's wrapped. This is how it's presented to us. This is how it's presented to the world. Jesus is giving, given to us in a shed, in a manger, surrounded by some broke teenagers who are freaked out, I'm sure, with nowhere to stay, and surrounded by animals, and eventually by shepherds, which, again, shepherds, not like high up on the totem pole list of like, people, I want to come visit my baby. Like, hey, when I have my baby, I can't wait till some shepherds come up in here, because they've been hanging out with sheep all day. That sounds fun and cool. That's not who you're thinking is going to show up, but that's what shows up to, to see Jesus. Like they're right on the hillside outside the town. They hear about Jesus from an angel. They come and check out Jesus, and he's right there, just like the angel said, in a manger with some animals, with these teenagers, and they worship him. And this is how Jesus enters the world. So as we're thinking about this gift, and we're thinking about what God has given, and you think about how you interpret what gifts look like when they're given and how they're wrapped and what that says about what's inside, it starts to get a little confusing. Because you're like, if Jesus is who he says he is and who God says he is and who we've been thinking he is, then wouldn't he have entered the world a little differently? Like, wouldn't he have, like, just floated down from heaven, like, cooing, like, and like glowing, you know, like bathed in light, being carried by an angel. You know, I don't know. You know what I mean? And like holding a little like golden bottle. I don't know. I feel like he would have entered differently. But this is how he entered. And so, this is not the picture of the Messiah that people were, were picturing. When people pictured Messiah, they pictured the guy, the savior of the world. They did not picture this. This isn't what we would think of when we think of the name King of Kings. It's just not. The King of Kings would be born in a palace, would have a lot of servants around, would be taken care of, be clean, have anything they wanted, have the ability to have influence, 
and power. That's just what he would be born into if he's going to be the king of kings. That's what a king has. But not Jesus. Because he is a different kind of king. This is a different type of savior. This was Jesus. And his birth was just the beginning of his reshaping of what we think is right in the way it should be. So we're going to look back at this one particular story back in the book of Samuel. Now, do you guys remember the story of David and Goliath? Anybody heard that story? If you haven't, I'm going to brush you up really quickly, okay? There's this guy who's named David. He's this little kid. He eventually kills this giant named Goliath. And because he kills this giant, he gets to be... um, with the king all the time. He saves the nation of Israel. Eventually he becomes the king of Israel because God anointed him to be the next king of Israel. But to get to that point, to find the next king of Israel, they had to go and find him, like literally go out and find him. And so they bring Samuel in, who's a prophet of God's, and they're like, Samuel, you got to find this new king. They go to this family and he starts looking at all the sons. And as he looks at the sons, he kind of starts with the oldest and works his way down. But every, every time he sees it, the next son, he's like this kind of like built, tall, handsome-looking king kind of guy. And every time he sees one, he's like, man, this has got to be the king. And every time God's like, no, this isn't the king. So then the next son comes up, and he's even like bigger, stronger, has a better job, seems like even more kingly. And Samuel's like, well, this has got to be the guy. And God's like, no, this isn't the guy. So finally he gets to the last son that the dad brings to him. And he's like, okay, this isn't the son either. And the dad's like, well, I don't have, I mean, what do you mean? It's got to be one of these guys. And Samuel's like, well, do you have any more sons? And he's like, well, yeah, I got one, like the youngest one. He's scrawny and he's out taking lunch to the other brothers. And he's like, let me see him. And he brings David to him. And God said, this is the king. This is the guy. And turns out this is, he is the guy. He, he kills this huge giant. He leads armies into battles and wins victories and eventually leads the nation of Israel and does a great job of leading the nation. And so we see this example, even in this story, of God using something that doesn't seem like it should be what it is. Like the outside doesn't look like what it's supposed to be on the inside. But David is said to have had a heart like God's. Now, you wouldn't have been able to tell that from the outside, right? You wouldn't be able to look at a scrawny kid and be like, you know what, he's got a heart just like God's. You wouldn't know that. Unless he wore a shirt that said, I have a heart like God's. Like, you wouldn't know. There's nothing on the outside that tells somebody about what's on the inside like that. But we put such a high value on what's on the outside, and we judge people by what's on the outside all day long, right? I mean, think about your one day at school. How much do you feel judged in a day? How much do you judge other people in a day? So much. Like, we agonize over our outfits for things. We freak out if our haircut's not right. We go nuts if the brand of clothing we're wearing is not what we were hoping to have. Because we put so much emphasis on the outside, right? On what looks the way it's supposed to look. But we see God going counter to that. He's not operating in that way. And so then you fast forward, right, to Jesus as an adult. And he's talking to these religious leaders. 
these guys in the church. And he is like going after them, like laying into them, right? And this is what he says. He's saying, woe to you for being this way. Woe to you for being this way. Woe to you for saying this. Woe to you for acting this way. What does woe to you mean? Well, sorry for you. I feel so sorry for you that you're this way. But check this one out right here. In Matthew 23, verses 27, 28, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus is calling out people who are all about looking on the outside a particular way, right? Looking Christian, looking godly, looking good, right? But on the inside, they're dead. They do not have the things that actually matter inside. And so this idea of what is presented and looks a certain way on the outside actually does not matter. It doesn't count for what's really on the inside. What's on the inside is what is going to count and what ultimately matters not only with us, but with this story and this picture of Jesus being born. It's not about the fact that there's this baby in a manger with these two kids who are broke and don't know what they're doing and surrounded by animals. It's about who this kid is. It's about what he's going to do. It's about what's on the inside and what he's bringing. It's the exact same thing for us. God has always been concerned with what's on the inside because it's your heart that determines who you are. It's not the way you look in the mirror. It's not your clothes. It's not the things you even do. Like if you get good grades, if you perform well on the field, if you play your instrument well. This is evidence in his giving of his son to the world. I mean, God could have had him born in a palace with a family that was rich and powerful. I mean, could he have done that? Absolutely, he could. God could do anything. But those things are not what he cares about. Those things are not what matter. None of that will actually save anyone. Anybody can get that stuff. It is just like the present with the dog food that we talked about at the beginning, right? It looks nice on the outside, but you get it inside, and it's just dog food. It may seem valuable on the outside, but its true value is actually nothing. So Jesus' humble birth in a shed with animals in a manger is more proof of who he is, that he is the one, he's the one meant to save us all because he was the gift. Not money, not status, not things, or anything that we can get on our own. He is the greatest gift of all because he is everything we need. Him, not stuff, not things on the outside. Because he is the one who actually gives us things that we can't get without him. Life, love, hope, and the way to restore our soul, both now and for eternity, all come from this gift of Jesus. We can't earn those things. We can't buy those things. We can't go out and just get them. They only come from Jesus. And they affect us in here. Because all of us are like these Pharisees that Jesus is talking about. We're just whitewashed tombs on the outside, 
and are dead inside. It's not until we come to meet Jesus that we're filled up. That we're filled up with him, with his spirit, with the Holy Spirit, with this love and this hope that fills us every single day. And it doesn't mean that every single day goes awesome once you come to know Jesus. It just means when you face the terrible bad days, right, that come, because they come for all of us. But when they come, we're not empty inside when they hit. We're full. We're full of love. We're full of hope. We're full of grace. We're full of Jesus. And we can deal with it. Because God hasn't given us anything that he hasn't overcome and that he can't overcome. And so this birth of Jesus in a manger 2,000 years ago is a huge deal for us. It's why we celebrate it. It's why we bring it up every single year, why we have songs about it. Because it's the ushering in of this new king, this savior. It's totally different than what we thought. And even though he looks different on the outside than what we thought, he does everything he promised on the inside by bringing life and restoring who we were meant to be by restoring our relationship with God. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to go into our groups and talk more about that, about the value of the outside presence, about what we look like, about how we judge things on the outside, and really figure out what that means for us. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you have been gracious and given us this awesome gift of Jesus, and that even though he appeared a certain way on the outside, that he was born in this place that we would never expected in a way that we would never, never have expected, God, that it's even in that that you prove he is who he says he is. That he doesn't need status. He doesn't need money. He doesn't need stuff to be the savior of the world, to be God. And so thank you that he was who he says he was and is who he says he is. Thank you that we can accept that gift. Thank you that we can use the picture of who he is and how he came into the world as a way for us to reevaluate what we value and what we view as good and as right. So God, help us to embrace what is actually valuable. Help us to look at the inside of who we are and ask you to fill it up. Ask you to be what we live for and who we live for, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.